morning of worship and praise so far. I would invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word and turn to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. We're beginning today a three-part a three-part sermon series on specifically the not good goodness of God. Now probably thinking, what do you mean the not good goodness of God? God is all good. Well, indeed he is, and we're going to talk about that today, but I believe you're going to be blessed by this three-part series on the goodness of God. Psalm 145, verses 1 through 21. Um, To give you an idea of where we're going with the series is that things happen in our life that are not good and seemingly allowed by God who is good. How do we make sense of that? That's what this message series is uh, hopefully going to address. But before we talk about those questions today, I just want to talk to you about the goodness of God. So there's a lot of scripture today that you can put in your margin if you'd like. A lot of scripture today and just allow the Word of God to wash over you as He indeed is a good, good Father. Psalm 145. Before I begin reading, I want to give you our main statement, which is this. God is good, and we can count on His goodness. God is good, and we can count on His goodness. There are a great many things of which I am unsure But when it comes to the goodness of God, I am sure of it. We can count on God's goodness. Psalm 145 is the final psalm of David in the Psalter. That's the the book of Psalms. It's the final one. It's not necessarily the last one he wrote, because it may not be in that particular order. But it's the last one that we have in number. So I'm going to read to you the words of David, a song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in his greatness, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds those who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, 
and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. This is, the, this is the last psalm of David, and indeed it speaks of God's goodness and many other great things about God. When we use the word good, what are we saying? For instance, if I say, yeah, that, you know, you're good, I'm good, or that's good, or this is a good game, or this is a good food, or this is good music, something like that. What do we mean by the word good? Well, typically it's three parts, and all of these can be a reference to who God is in his goodness. Number one is the right. If something is right and true, it's good. If something is right and true, it is good. But then also, not just something that's right and true, but there's another kind of goodness, something that is revealed, and that is the sweet. What do I mean by that? I'm talking something in the sense of sentimental, something that's moving and touching. That it just You look at it, and it's not just right and true, but it's like, wow, that is, that is so sweet. For instance, uh, last night, I had uh, stayed up to watch some ball games, and they went on late, and my family went on to bed. And then after I retired to the bedroom for the evening, my wife had already gone to bed, and all the children were supposed to be in bed at that point. And uh, anyway, Peter has, he's my youngest, he's child number six, and he's number two, or he's two years of age. He just recently figured out how to crawl out of his baby bed, so we had to graduate him to a big boy bed so he wouldn't crawl out and fall but the problem is is now he's totally mobile so he can just get up and wander around the house and stuff like that like for instance one morning we woke up and there was just like a tub of ice cream sitting in the middle of the floor like melted like why I mean why not Um, but but anyway last night as I went into the bedroom I was trying to be quiet because I knew Andrea was asleep and I had my phone out and I was using it as a flashlight so I didn't have to turn the light on and then as, as I was getting in the bed, a little head popped up. And I looked and I saw him there and I thought, well, what are you doing, you little rascal? And he looked at me and I looked at him and then he looked at his mom and I looked at his mom and he took his head and burrowed it down in her neck, just like, just, just like you would do something like that. And then he looked up at me and he went, as in, you can lay over there. <laughs> And I was like, well, I'm not touching that. I guess I'll go sleep in your room. But, uh, but anyway, he did make room for me. But as I sat there and I saw that little boy, knowing all that the two of them have been through together with the miracle of his birth and how God has provided for us in that. And I saw that little boy with his mom. It was just so sweet. It was good. And you have things like that, too, that they're not just good because they're true it's they're good because they're sweet and then also there is the good because it's beautiful things that are good because it is just beautiful it's not just simply true or sweet but it's just a beautiful thing to take in 
uh, like a, a distant horizon as you see the sun go down and just revealing its beauty. You take it in and you go, wow, this doesn't have to be this way, but it is good. The sky doesn't have to be beautiful to be functional, right? But it is, and it is good. When we say God is good, he is all three of those things. God is right and true. God is sweet and near to us. And God is also beautiful. And the Bible hits on all of these things. Principle number one, as we talk about God's goodness. First, the Psalm 145 assures us in verses 4 through 7 that God's goodness is famous and known from generation to generation. That God's goodness is famous and known from generation to generation. Look in verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. The word of our God says that we declare God's goodness from generation to generation. What does this mean? This means that God has blessed past generations. God has blessed past generations. Certainly he has blessed the generation of the Bible. Friends, regardless of how you feel about the Bible, something must have happened that was good because we're still reading about it to this day. Something that was so good that we're still reading about it thousands of years from its writing. That's how good God has been in past generations. Also, God blesses our generation. You and I have seen the goodness of God. We, we hear about things happening that, oh, it's just going to be the end of the world and you know the country's going to fall apart and the economy's going to crash. And People have been saying that for as long as I have been alive. And yet, God still provides for his own. God continues to bless us with his goodness. And I don't think we should be presumptuous on that. But I think we should trust that God is going to be good. He is going to be good. And with that, we can bless future generations. God will bless future generations. You see this here in this passage, that he's blessed past generations. He has blessed our generation. And he will bless future generations as well and we can be used as a vessel to bless future generations don't underestimate your testimony and the power it has on your children and your grandchildren and those who are younger than you when i was a young pastor 26 years old the eldest living member of the church that i pastored was a lady by the name of dot terry she was 93 years old and i loved visiting her because she was always so positive that no matter what i talked about as an obstacle or some difficulty that i was facing she always was able to say hey listen don't worry about it it's going to be okay and she would often say listen son i'm 93 years old I know by experience that it is going to be okay. And she blessed me as a young person because one generation telling to another, the generations of the past, the generation of today, and the generation of tomorrow declare God's goodness. Not only that, that God's goodness is famous and known from generation to generation, God's goodness is revealed through his consistent character. What else do we know of God's goodness? Well, his goodness is revealed through his consistent character. If you, have, if you don't mind marking in your Bible, I would encourage you to mark verse number 8. 
The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. That phrase right there, the Lord is gracious and merciful, is one of the most repeated phrases in all of the Old Testament. It's interesting to me because the Old Testament always gets the bad rap as the part of the Bible that talks about God as the big, big, mean, bad God and angry and so on and so forth. Hopefully that you've learned by now from my preaching and your study from the Word of God and going to Sunday school is that the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, tells of God's goodness and His kindness. It comes as no surprise to me that the most oft-repeated phrase in the Old Testament is that the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. I mean, think about it. If there was one thing, if you could be known for one thing, what would it be? God says, I want to be known for this, to be gracious and merciful. What does that mean? Well, first, it means that God is giving. God is giving. Notice it says the Lord is gracious. The Lord is gracious. Now, this word gracious in the Old Testament, in the original language, is the same word that's used in the New Testament for grace. It's the same word when you look at the translations and the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And grace has this idea of gift, meaning God is giving. He is giving graciousness. When we say that God is gracious, we are saying that God is giving. He is giving. He has an open hand willing to bless us with what we do not deserve. And the first thing in this most oft-repeated phrase, he wants us to know that God is gracious. He is giving. He is a giver. Listen to 2 Chronicles chapter 30 and verse number 9 when this phrase is also repeated. For if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your children will find compassion with their captors and return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful, there it is again, and will not turn away his face from you if you return to him. From Genesis to Revelation, no matter how bad it gets, every single time someone has a little small ounce of repentance just a small little turn to God he comes running why because he is gracious he is gracious but not only that he is merciful God is not only giving he is forgiving he is willing to forgive that's what mercy is all about Psalms 130 verse number three it says if you O Lord should mark iniquities O Lord who could stand but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared this statement that God wants to be known by that he is a giver of grace that he gives us what we don't deserve but he's also merciful he withholds the discipline. He withholds the punishment that we do deserve. That's what mercy is all about. He holds back his hand because he is willing to be, the word is, <coughs> merciful, emphasizing that he is forgiving. But notice it doesn't stop there in verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. 
God is steadfastly loving. God is steadfastly loving. Now, I don't know if you have a steadfastly loving person in your life. I, had, I have several of them. I, I'm married to someone who steadfastly loves me, and I love her in return steadfastly. My parents, my grandparents, they steadfastly love me. I, I seriously doubt I could do anything to compromise their love for me because they have piled it on, so to speak. It is steadfastly. Certainly I could embarrass them, but they have express their steadfast love for me. But it seems that with the rest of us, for the rest of us, when we think about how people love and affirm us, we often wonder, well, if they, if they really knew me, would they really love me? If people really knew me, would they love me? For, for instance, I got an encouraging text. I texted my dad this week. I said, hey, dad, I'm thinking about you. I love you, and I'm just so proud to be your son. And I don't always do something like that, but it was just impressed on me. And he returned the text. And he said, son, he said, I'm really proud of you, and I love you. And when he told me that, I was sitting in the kitchen, and I was actually, I'd opened the top cabinet to get the, the O's cereal. Oh, what a cereal, right? Um, I, I was reaching up to grab the O's cereal, and I looked down with this hand, and I read that text, and it says, son, I'm so proud of you and I love you. And you know what the thought that immediately went to my head? Just said, oh, daddy, but you don't know me like I know me. That was immediately like, I know you're proud of me, yeah, but if you knew everything about me, how selfish I can be, look, daddy, you don't know me like I know me. That was the immediate thing that went to my head, even though I don't question the steadfast love of my dad. That's the first thing that went to my head. And I tell you what, I don't know if this was the audible voice of God or not because I didn't hear anything with a sound, but it was impressed so hard upon my heart as I was holding that cereal box in my head, in hand, holding that cereal box in my hand, I heard within my heart that I believe it was God impressing upon my heart saying, but I know you and I'm proud of you. And it just... I mean, it floored me. I went and told Andrea about it. I just said, I couldn't, be, I couldn't believe that. What, why would God be proud of me? Why would God be proud of you? I mean, we're sinners. Because he loves us. We're his. We're his children. He is steadfastly loving. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. You can't catch God on a bad day absent of his love because he's always loving. He always loves. Also, God is a patient provider. Look in verse number nine, that the Lord is good to all. Well, we talked about what it means to be good, to, to emphasize the right, the sweet, and the beautiful. Well, he's good to all, and it specifies what he means. And his mercy is over all that he has made. What does that mean? That God is a patient provider. God is a patient provider. God is not just merciful towards his children, those who trust him. God is merciful towards those who even revile him. Listen to Matthew chapter 5 verses 44 through 45. This tells you something of God's character. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sins reign on the just and the unjust. Why does God provide 
for wicked people because he loves wicked people. He doesn't love their wickedness, but he loves people. And God provides. This is the kind of patient provider that God is, that he is, again, hear this phrase, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. So if you're here today at church, you're thinking, I just feel like, man, I feel like God's, God's mad at me. He doesn't really... I've just burned my bridges with God and it's just, it's just, you know, it's going to be nothing but a frustrating relationship between me and God from now on. Friends, read the word. He is gracious and merciful. He is compassionate. He is loving all of these things. And if he even loves the wicked, unbelievers, those who hate him, if he provides for them, how much more is he going to provide for you and love you? Principle number three, as we talk about God's goodness. Principle number three is this. God's consistent character reveals his abundant goodness. God's consistent character reveals his abundant goodness. Uh, Look with me in verse number 13. It says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his works and kind in all his works. David is going to start doing something right here. He is just going to go through a list to emphasize God's abundant goodness here. In fact, back in verse number seven, it says, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. What is David saying? David is saying, listen, for everybody who knows God, they know that he is good. So if you know him and don't think he's good, you don't really know him because his goodness is famous. So God's consistent character reveals his abundant goodness. And he goes through this list when he says in verse number 13, the Lord is faithful in all his works and kind in all of his works. Everything God does is good and kind. First is this is that God holds onto the falling. God holds onto the falling. Look in verse number 14. The Lord upholds all who are falling. Let's talk about what this means. Let's talk about the goodness of God. What does this mean? That means those who are making a mess of their lives. He keeps it from getting too messy. For those of us who are falling and stumbling, he prevents us from falling all of the way. Listen to Psalm 34, verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He is there. Specifically, what does it say? The Lord upholds all who are falling. Listen to Jude chapter 1, verses 24 through 25. Jude 1, 24 through 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling or falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. He is able to keep you from falling. Not that you won't make mistakes, but that when you make them, when you stumble, it won't, you won't be left to die. You won't be left to ruin. 
he is able to uphold you when you are falling. But not only that, the Lord upholds all those who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The, the idea here, this language in the scripture, has an idea of someone whose back is bent over with hardship. It's the idea, it's a pictured expression of the Old Testament of someone who is in a deep depression. That's the picture that we're supposed to see. And we are told that God lifts up specifically raises up all who are bowed down. The goodness of God is revealed in this, that he lifts up the fallen and depressed. Listen to Psalm 24, verse 18. Psalm 24, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. I I had the privilege of talking with a guy this week and got to share the gospel or at least a little bit of the gospel with him. Hopefully I'll have another opportunity to share some more. But I was telling him a little bit about my story. He was asking me questions about my life and I had told him about the last five or six years how they've been difficult with health things and the passing of my son and then my wife's health crisis and all, all these hard things that we've faced. And I was able to tell him that what I've told you that just because it's been bad and just because it's been hard doesn't mean it's not been good. Because Andrea and I have seen God's goodness over and over again. And I can say with confidence as having been one who is bowed down. I can say with confidence that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit. God lifts up the fallen and depressed. But look at verse 15. Verse 15, what does the scripture say? The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. That God blesses everyone with food. You say, well, that's not that big of a deal. Well, for most of the world, daily food is a huge deal. We don't typically think of that because food is so abundant here in the United States, but Acts chapter 14, verses 16 through 17. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Why is food good? Why do we enjoy it? Because God is good and he gives us food. Not only that, look at verse number 16. Verse 16 says, you open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Not only does God bless everyone with food, God makes sure everyone is satisfied. God wants you to be satisfied with life. In the story, I don't have time to go there, but in the story of when God is confronting through the prophet Nathan, his sin with David and Bathsheba, one of the things that he says to David is this. He says, in his criticism of David's folly in sinning with Bathsheba and killing her husband, he said, listen, I've been so good to you, and I've given you all of these things, and I've given you the place of your, your master, King Saul. And he said, if this had not been enough, I would give, have given you more. Isn't that interesting? 
that God wants to do good. God wants to bless us. God wants us to be fulfilled in life. It pleases God to satisfy us that we might be satisfied in life. God makes sure everyone is satisfied. But also look at verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. What does this mean? That God's goodness, that God always does what is right. He always does what is right. Genesis chapter 18 and verse 25. When Abram is talking to the Lord about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, he says, far be it from you to do such a thing, to Put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare is the wicked. And he says this famous phrase, far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just and right. God always does what is right. Also look in verses 18 and 19. It says the Lord is near to all who call on him and all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him and he hears their cry and saves them. God is near to those who call on him. God's goodness is this. He never plays hard of hearing. He hears your cry and you call out to him and he will make himself near to you. Also, God is even kind to his enemies in delaying their destruction. Look in verse 20. You can say, well, verse 20, it says the Lord preserves all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. The wicked he will destroy. Yes, it does say the wicked he will destroy because part of God's goodness is that he will do what is just and he will punish wickedness. But you also have to mitigate that with 1 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is willing that none should perish. This is why he delays the destruction of the wicked because he doesn't want anyone to perish and desires all to come to repentance that even in God's justice he is so patient and so kind and long-suffering that God is kind even to his enemies and delays their destruction principle number four as we close God is good and it is good to call out to him I have just given you a lot of information about God and his goodness. Now here's the thing. You are now faced with a decision. Are you going to embrace God's goodness according to his word? Or are you going to hold God's goodness over him in questioning? Because rather than looking to his word, you're looking first and foremost at what you see of your life in this moment. And I've been there. We all can get there. We look at the narrow scope of what we see in the moment and we question God's goodness. Notice how David started out this psalm. God's goodness is famous and known from generation to generation. If you want to take a look and understand God's goodness in your life, sometimes you can't look in the little moment. You have to take a wider angle and back out and then you will see the traces of his good hand.